<laughs> You're now listening to the Inside Out Podcast with Jimmy Hunt. Get it. Welcome to Inside Out with Jimmy Hunt. My job is simple, to improve my mental fitness through any means possible and deconstruct what works, what doesn't, and what I think may be able to make you become mentally fitter. And quite often, it leads me to some pretty interesting people, places, and stories. And today, we have one of those pretty interesting people on the podcast Her name is Dr. Amy Silver, and if I said all the letters after the end of her name, the time would probably be up on the end of this podcast. But she is a psychologist who helps people with the management of their emotions for high performance. She has an award-winning and Amazon best-selling book called The Loudest Guest, How to Control and Change Your Relationship with Fear. And that's what I want to talk to her about today, fear. Welcome, Amy. Thanks for coming along. Hi, this is lovely. Lovely to be talking to you. <laughs> it is lovely. And lovely, lovely, as a side note, is pretty much my favorite word in the English language. It is what I seek out from humanity. It's what I try and surround myself with is lovely people, lovely conversations, and lovely anything else I can find. So oh, good start. What a, what a lovely mission. <laughs> it works pretty good for me. <laughs> I mean, when we look at the basic biology of humans, we have fear built in for a very, very, very good reason, right? We need to be scared if a lion comes and tries to eat us or someone comes to try and attack us. And so on this podcast, I've talked to a bunch of experts and a bunch of my own stuff around the nervous system. So your sympathetic nervous system is that fight or flight response when that fear is thrown at you. And then usually in those sorts of situations, that that fear then dissipates because the situation ends and we can move ourselves back into the parasympathetic nervous state, and which is our calm state. But what I am seeing a lot is people being stuck in that sympathetic nervous state with fear as a constant sort of thing that's just holding on to them. And so when does that healthy fear spill over into the unhealthy fear? And how can we stop that happening? I think there's so much in what you've just said. And um, and thank you for setting us up so beautifully. I think that there is a slight addiction to that sense, that buzz, um, that connection to life. You know, if you think about what fear is, we feel very alive when we have those strong emotions. So there is a sort of a a sense of if we don't have it, we kind of want to seek it in order to feel connected to life. So there's a, a part of this, which is a, a learnt habit and something that we may seek out, um, even though it doesn't serve us all the time. So I think there's that. I think within our current um, social networks and setups, we have a level of expectation that it's normal to feel that as well. So that if we're not feeling it, we kind of think something's wrong. 
Um, so I think that the social structures don't help us either in kind of feeling okay with being relaxed. Um, you know, relaxed has got a sort of a negative connotation to it, you know, particularly if you think about the way that our society is set up with work ethic and things like that, which kind of are just striving for us to, to be at that edge of um, exhaustion. I love the term, mm. the glorification of busy. That's right. That's right. So I think there's a lot to be said for all of that. That is the reality within which we live. So therefore, we need to manage ourselves better because there are lots of cues around us to support the existence of living in that state. So that that's the first thing that came up for me was, was really around why do we get caught the other thing is that I think that one of the things, the reasons that we get caught is that we don't normalize it as much as we should. I think it's normal to feel that paralysis um, when we're kind of confronted with, you know, something um, that triggers us, whether it's a decision or choice or um, action um, and that that sort of sense of fight, flight, freeze is very normal. And so we kind of need to talk about it a lot more uh, and get okay with it. And that's why I called the book uh, or why the tagline is about changing our relationship with fear. Because I think when we hide it or we think that it's abnormal, we sort of layer on top of it a whole lot of shame and secrecy. And I sort of feel like fear breeds with itself in the dark, you know, like a mushroom. And if we acknowledge it to ourselves, uh, we acknowledge that it's there, that it's uncomfortable. And if we acknowledge it out loud with each other, then we normalize it and it has less um, shade to grow in. So we've got an opportunity then to acknowledge that it's there without experiencing the pain that goes with it. Yeah. I mean, I guess the first thing that comes to mind for me there is basically sort of Instagram culture, you know, social media culture where we put the perfect versions of ourselves out there to everybody. And fear, I guess, has been even less normalized than it used to be in that if you show that you are not complete and perfect, <laughs> that you're actually afraid or worried about something, mm. then that is perceived as to, as being weak from, from these other people. Yeah, we sort of celebrate, if you think about Instagram posts, it's all about after the event, you know, after yeah. the success of going through the, the pain or the anxiety and less about those you know, weeks where it didn't work because you kind of stopped yourself or um, you failed or or whatever. It's less about that bit and more about the overcoming, which is the which is the bit that we all want to see for sure, and the bit that we all need to know that we can overcome it. And yet, um, there's a perception that there isn't that pain along the way, um, yeah. or that the pain was. You know, you could reconcile the pain with success rather than you can reconcile the pain. Yeah, I think that's a really good point is that we don't actually have to have air quotes success to be able to move through the fear. Yeah, I think that moving through the fear for me, anyway, this is the way that I try and live my life, is moving through the fear is the goal. Right. 
not the thing on the other side. It's the relationship that I have with fear that I do not want fear to stop me from trying or doing or thinking or being or whatever it is. I just don't want fear to be the one that chooses what I do. Yeah. I mean, that's another good little sort of another way of saying, you know, it's the journey and not the destination, right? Mm, so mm. the the journey is the overcoming the fear, not whatever you achieve once you've overcome that fear. A good example for me at the moment is, uh, and uh, people follow me know that I do this. I have a, I have a, a sandwich board, a sign, and the sign says, I will talk to anyone about anything. And I have gone and set that up all over the world as a uh, an opportunity for people who are lonely, for people who have no one to talk to, who people because it's quite often much easier to dump your stuff on a complete stranger than it is someone that you actually love. Mm-hmm. And so I do that all the time. And people are like, "Oh my god, that's so cool! Oh my god, this!" And I and I say all the time, "I am scared every single time I take that sign out into public mm. because I'm scared that one, no one will ever turn up, and I'll just sit there looking <laughs> like a loner. Um, I'm scared people will say some dumb shit to me, uh, which happens occasionally. I don't know what else I'm scared. I'm just scared of putting myself out there. Right? It's, it's vulnerable to just sit there and wait for other people." And every time I do it, I feel the fear. And for me, I kind of rationalize it in my own brain. And I'm just going to give you my sort of my process. And I want to see if it aligns anywhere near with your process. And then when it's not, you can give me the better process afterwards. <laughs> so I like it, it's a scary, it's a scary thing. I just, first of all, it's a thing about, it's about like putting your shoes on. If you just lie on the bed, then you're never going to get through it. But if you actually go put your shoes on and pick up the sign, then you're basically halfway there anyway. And so then I, I go and then I sit there and then it's the unveiling of the sign that's like, oh shit. Okay. Now here, here I go. But the way I look at it is that best case scenario I saved someone's life. Literally happened a couple of days ago. Worst case scenario, I sit there and write for a couple of hours because I have a notepad and a thing. So I have time to think and write. Worst case scenario, it's my thinking time. But worst, worst case scenario, some people say some dumb shit to me. But I understand that if someone's going to say some dumb shit to someone who's trying to help other people, then that's just a hurt person hurting people. And mm-hmm. so I actually have more compassion and understanding for them than someone who just walks past and doesn't even mm-hmm. notice me. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's kind of my process about that fear. Yeah, it's wonderful. I, I think, yeah, I, absolutely. What you have managed to do is not let fear get in the way of something that you know that you have had as an idea. Um, and I think that is beautiful. And one of the ways around it that you have is to start. You know, which is always. <laughs> You know, you put your body in motion and kind of the rest of you has to follow. So moving your body um, into the right position, I think, is a really wonderful way to to say to fear, you know, I'm not letting you win today. That's Mm. not kind of the outcome that I'm looking for. Thanks for your advice. You know, thank you for making me feel alive. Um, Thank you for uh, being here with me on the journey so that I can 
have my spidey senses senses ready in case I need to defend or attack or run away. Um, so thank you, thank you. And we're doing this. Do you have any other tips for people on the starting point? I think the starting point is acknowledging that what fear wants and what you want are probably in contrast. Right. So being really clear and, you know, potentially this is a bit of writing time to say, okay, what is the story that fear it can see, you know, and, and so what is the conclusion that it's coming to and what does it want me to do? And, you know, 99.9% of the time it will be comfort. Yeah. You know, it, it wants you to be safe and it's doing that, as you said, because it's trying to keep you alive. So um, thank you. Uh, but it's trying to keep you comfortable and that is often in opposition and it's trying to keep you comfortable now. Right. But a lot of what you want or we want is a little bit longer term than now. It's got a little bit more ripple to it than right now. And just being able to acknowledge that difference is the separation that we need to give us clarity and when we have clarity, we can make a better decision about what to do. So I think that's the first step is to acknowledge that what fear wants and what you want are different. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's obviously true, isn't it? Because uh, you wouldn't fear it if it was in alignment with you. That's right. That's what people always say, oh, it's so courageous. And, you know, when you, you know, to people who do, you know, things that are courageous and they're like, well, no, it just is what I want to do, you know, and so I'm not tuning into fear. And that's all that courage is, you know, is us being able to uh, not experience the fear so much that it prevents us from doing what we want. Yeah. Uh, and this is the thing, like, especially with with this example that I'm using, is that the outcome lines up with who I want to be. And which is so, longer term. Yeah, which which is yeah. which is a much a much longer term vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, you know, I guess some of the other things I can't think of any examples right now, but some of the other things that I might be afraid of, uh, are yeah, are a much a much shorter term thing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very courageous in some areas of my life and very not courageous in others. So I'm not very courageous yeah. with um, spiders right? <laughs> or jumping out of planes. You know, that isn't something that I guess kind of um, I feel particularly um, empowered by when I do something against my fear in that context. So if I, you know, if I did jump out of a plane, it's not something that I th- I sort of, um, well, maybe it would be amazingly empowering. Who knows? I don't know. Probably would be. Um, But there are areas in my life where I'm kind of like comfortable with that level of fear preventing me from moving forward. And other ones where when I see fear showing up, like it stops me from, you know, having a conversation or it stops me from seeking an introduction or it stops me from... Uh, walking out onto stage or something like that, it, you know, it's really trying to pull me back and say, don't do it. You're taking a risk. You're doing something 
that could be uh, increasing your vulnerability stop. I sort of see it waving almost like a flag and I'm like, whoa, great. Here we go. You know, there's the sign. There's the sign of where I'm going to feel alive, that real connection with excitement. You know, the, the physical sensations of fear and excitement are exactly the same. Um, so it's really a matter of interpretation. Um, yeah. And I just need to use that as my sign. Okay. So if we can feel our fear, we can align it with a future purpose mm-hmm. and we can go, okay, I'll put my shoes on, mm-hmm. but like I haven't quite jumped yet. <laughs> you know, where does the courage come from to be able to take those final leaps to get to get where you need to go? Courage is just action. Right. Courage is just action. It is courage. Any sort of action. Uh, in any in any sort of action, courage is um, is the is the moving forward um, without letting fear stop you. That is all that courage is. The confidence that you might feel on the other side is an internal feeling, but courage is the action. Right. Of doing. Okay. Well, so so you how, can only have confidence. So the action is literally action. you just have to move. You have to move your bodies in the same way that you um, get your shoes on and you get out of bed in the same way that you. And, and so what you have to do is minimize the friction that allows you to kind of get out of um, that action. So, for example, if we had um, a personal trainer turning up to our house in the morning, I would do the training, right? Yeah. Because I don't have any choice. If I arrange to meet my friend at the gym, I don't have any choice. So I go. Yeah. Um, If I tell everybody about it, that I'm getting fit, I am more likely to do it. So what tricks can I play on myself to make the action more likely to happen? Um, if you had to, if you threw away your sandwich board every time you you went out and you had to go through the process of writing it all out again and finding the sandwich board and doing all that, you'd have so many points at which you could talk yourself out of it. Absolutely. So it's a case of reducing the friction that gets in the way of moving your body forward. I like it. I like it. I understand it. Let's take an example that you mentioned in there, which is something that is uh, fits for me as well, which is you know like introducing yourself to someone that maybe mm-hmm. you admire or that mm-hmm. you would like a podcast interview from or mm-hmm. or something like that, right? And so you know you you sort of you put your shoes on, you you write the email, and mm-hmm. uh, it's sitting there, and you want to do the action. But that send button is paralyzingly far away because you're so afraid that someone you admire will rebuff you, you know, even worse, they're going to go back, who do you think you are asking me for this? I can't believe you would ask such a thing. You know, just the most ridiculous shit that you know, they're, know. Never, they're never going to come back with. But that's uh, that's what it feels like, right? Yeah. And yeah. it's, but we do just, in so many areas, get to that point where 
Like you want to push the button, you just can't push the button. And we know this from like your skydiving example, even more I've seen in bungee jumping examples, mm-hmm. right? Like you just, they're just, they want to go. They paid the money. They got there. They're standing there. Right? <laughs> there's but a cue they, behind them. Yeah, there's a cue. Like there's all of these things, but you yeah. just get paralyzed. Yeah. You got any tips for that? <laughs> okay. Um, I, I think that for me personally, and I think it's a question of trying, right? So I think that's the clue really is that moving through fear is a series of experiments that you run on yourself. Right. And that you need to discover what is the hook for you. The the problem becomes when we stop experimenting. Right. So if we think of ourselves as experimenting our way through life, looking for new ways to manage the different types of fear and the different angles that fear uses on us in any given moment, then we're on this life mission, right? To discover new ways to handle myself and my feelings. So I think that's the trick is to keep moving and keep trying and keep working and keep practicing and keep introducing new things to yourself so that you've got more of a relationship with this thing, this fear that that's in, that's a part of the way that your brain works. So that's my overall caption is, is keep going, keep trying. So you, and uh, for me, I'll oh, go on. Sorry. No, are you, are you kind of saying the sort of start small and get bigger? Like, like yeah. if, if, if there's something really big, you're fearful of try some of the smaller things first. There's two, there's literally only two ways to beat fear or to manage fear, I should say, because I don't like the word beat, because I do think it's a relationship. I think we need fear. I think we don't want to get too big with fear. Um, It's got, you know, these life preserving um, pieces to it. So I I think for us to manage our relationship with fear better, there's only two ways. One is small baby steps. Uh, We meet, you know, we don't go to the German shepherd police dog, you know, you know, who's gone out of control. We go to puppy dogs and then we go to Labradors and then we move up to, um, you know, Labrador grown up dogs and then whatever. So we kind of step our way up each step, providing us with a level of fear that becomes manageable for us, but not overwhelming. So we just go small baby steps. The other is that we go giant leap. And so that you are on the, (laughs) on the edge of the bungee jump thing and somebody pushes you because uh, you've already told them that that's what you want. to do. (laughs) Um, And then you come down, you go, wow, now I can do anything. So I think those are the only two ways, small baby steps, big giant leaps. And 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 you know your relationship with those different ways in which fear shows up and you may have one relationship with fear that's small baby steps in for example being honest with people about your feelings or yeah. you know being honest with yourself about feelings or spending time on yourself by yourself or anything that you might have a relationship with fear that requires small baby steps for that and big ones you know for physical uh fears um right. as I've I don't, I'm not very good with physical fear. And so a few years ago, I signed up for a, um, a soccer team and started playing soccer, um, which was incredibly fearful for me and still is every time I get on the pitch, but, um, it's a, you know, it's me making progress with something that I'm, I have learned, you know, to keep comfortable. Yeah. Um, 
I have a uh, a good example for physical fear, and it's the funny thing. I wasn't actually fearful of it, but uh, when I was like ten years old, go to the local pools, and there's a five meter diving board, right? And people are afraid of jumping off high things. Mm. And so, from the age of ten until the age of twenty two, when I hit my highest, I went. I would jump off the five meters at ten years old, scary as hell. But you do it ten times, not so scary anymore. So then you go to the seven and a half meter board, then you go to the 10 meter board. And as a gradual process of fear, like I literally, this was my drug. I coveted this fear. This fear made me so happy. The adrenaline, having to figure it out, the pride, all of that. But I ended up making it up to 35 meters is the highest highest I ever jumped off. Now, if you gave me a 35 meter jump today, absolutely no way in hell would no I even get close to, to to jumping that right because I've I've now gained back fallen off the fear. wagon. Yeah, I know that's right. Absolutely right. That's and right. So, it's it has to be maintained. You you know, in all those different spaces, it has to be maintained. Yeah, because if you've it's the same as um oh uh do you know Alison Shamir? No, I don't. Yeah, so Alison Shamir is this this woman whose expertise is imposter syndrome. She lives in Sydney, wonderful lady. And um, I was talking to her the other day and she just did her first talk back with people in the room. And she was like, oh my God, like it's so, ex- it was so exciting. And I am born to stand on stage and talk to people. It's what I do. It's my job. It's what I'm best at. I haven't done it since October last year. <laughs> and uh, and I was literally thinking to her, it's going to be a few months until I get back and do it again. I was like, that fear has has creeped in a little bit, just in that, in that maybe six months. And uh, and yet it's something that is so me, I'm so good at it, and yet it's still come back. So that's what you're talking about with yeah. maintaining it. Mm, and I think it, yeah, it is crazy. And so you think about that's the level that you need to be at to maintain your current levels and relationships with fear. Um, and if you don't start in an area of your own fear, you know, mm. how, how far back you are. And I think it's, it's just this, I think that's the decision that we need to make is which are the bits of my fear that I want to build a better relationship with, which are the experiments that I want to practice. Um, how do I want to move forward? How do I deliberately head for fear? That's, um, I think, a really lovely conversation to have with yourself is, you know, I think that we often give over, um, you know, our courage to luck, you know, oh, well, I wonder what I would do if I was in that sort of a situation, you know, or yeah. if I was given that sort of opportunity, I wonder what I would do rather than saying, okay, well, it is a fear for me. So how do I deliberately set myself up for success um, so that when that opportunity happens, I'm, I'm feeling okay. Mm. And you never want to be fearless. You know, I think that would be a bad goal to have, to be fearless. Mm. I think we want- You know that there's people who are fearless, right? Do you think? No, no, no. It's an actual medical condition. It's an actual, it's an actual psychological medical condition. And their yeah. lives are fucking horrible. Because yeah, I don't think they would live very long, would no, they? No, they, they, they no. don't because that's how much we need fear. Mm. They just do dumb shit and get hurt all the time. 
Yeah, um, I think I think it's a really dangerous thing to wish for um, to be fearless. So I think the decision is not I'm going to wait until I'm fearless about this before I do it, but rather I'm going to do it and experience fear along the way um, and only set myself up with experiments that I can tolerate while I'm on this journey of building a better relationship with fear. I think that's that's a, a really good takeaway right there for everybody listening. I like to stop and acknowledge those because it's they're really important. And you know, you you absolutely hit the nail on the head with it's not about being fearless. It's about your relationship with fear as you move through it and making sure that it's manageable uh, along mm-hmm. the way. I'm a big believer that we that we rise to the level of the conversations that we have, right? The 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 more courageous the conversations that we can have, the better our outcomes all around. Whether that is mm-hmm. sending the email to ask someone to come on a podcast mm-hmm. or to be your mentor or to help you with with something, or if it's the it's the you know, courageousness to to say, hey, honey this behavior that you're doing right now really isn't helping us uh, in a relationship or whatever. And so I'm wondering if you've got any tips around how we can sort of facilitate more of those deep or uncomfortable conversations in our lives. I have lots of tips. I have a oh, whole good. program on this. <laughs> oh, good. Um, yeah, I do a, a courageous conversations at work um, and how that kind of helps us at, at work because you you know the number of um, conversations get swept under the carpet that should be happening and the feedback that doesn't be given and doesn't get asked for. And from a management perspective, it's it's um, it kills the quality of what a team can, can uh, do together. Essentially, I think that, again, going back to self is that that's the first bit is, are we being honest with ourselves about what we need and want? And, um, you know, I think that we have this internal conversation with ourselves where we say, you know what, I don't like that boundary that I've got being crossed, you know, or I've got something to say that um, I can see or I know. Um, And then we have this internal dialogue kind of going, yeah, but what if you're wrong? And um, yeah, but who are you to put your boundary out there really clearly? Or who are you to bring an idea to this thing? Or, you know, don't don't draw attention to yourself. You could be wrong. Um, and so we have this internal dialogue that fear beautifully uh, provides for us saying, play it small, keep in line, uh, don't rock the boat. You need to be liked. Um, you know, don't want to don't want to do anything that upsets anyone. What don't bring up any difficult feelings because nobody's going to know what to do with those. So this internal dialogue squashes a lot of what we feel or what we know or what we see about what we need and want. And I think being really clear with yourself first of all is is the is the first part of that. You know, it's really hard to have a courageous conversation or bring up that difficult stuff if you've lost faith in your own narrative about it. Um, And so being clear with yourself is the first step to that. 
and being courageous internally to find out what you think and then find out what fear thinks so that you can have that sort of a debate out loud. So one of the techniques that I suggest to people is that you grab a notebook and on one page of the notebook, you write out what you think or what you know or what you feel or what you need or want. And then over the page in different um, color pen, you write out what fear uh, is, is telling you about this same moment. Um, so that if, for example, you want to have a conversation with your sister about uh, something, you know, that's, that's difficult, you write out what you want on one page and you write down your fears in a different color on a different page. And again, just being able to see that stark difference between what fear wants and what you want will give you faith in what it is that you want so that when you enter into that conversation, you've got your um, mantras, I guess, your, your clarity over what it is that you're trying to say and you, you've overcome in advance the, the internal narrative that's going to start triggering you into fight, flight, or freeze, uh, which is what it will do. You know, that's why it, will, it kind of gives you those sensations that put you on the defensive. And then, you know, then your amygdala gets hijacked and off you go into sort of anxiety land. So the clarity um, allows you the space in that conversation to ground yourself in the importance of what it is that you have to say. So I think that that's the first piece. There's heaps more, but the first piece for me always comes down to your own relationship with what it is that you're saying and what you want and need. Right. And then, I mean, we don't have, we don't have all day on this. You've got a whole program on it, but (laughs) so the, uh, and people should go check out her program. uh, (laughs) If you're, Interested in having courageous conversations in your business. There's your ad in the middle. Thank uh, you. You're most welcome. Uh, so do you have a surmisable follow-up for that in terms of you know, where to go next once they've done that? Yeah, I think it's a it's a question of man of the for me again. Um, if you ask anybody, and I think this is a miss miss, is it Mr. Mona? Is that a word or a miss misnomer? Misnomer, that's the one. Yeah. That, that we don't know what good communication is or we don't know what courageous communication is. I think we do. You know, right. we are, when when we need to, we can communicate very courageously. Mm. Right? I think we know what to do. It's not for me about techniques. It's about state management. Yeah. And so it's in the moment I have to be able to Pull on grounding techniques. Uh, I'm sure yep. you've talked about grounding techniques a lot. Pull on breathing techniques. Pull on body relaxation techniques. Yep. Have a mind mantra to channel my attention. I have to almost, for me personally, the strongest thing that I can do is I remember the impact of my words on the future that I'm trying to create um, yeah. and not a future necessarily that's anything to do with me. Um, you know, I've got kids, so that's always a really beautiful, um, thing for me is to put my children visually in the room. Um, and what that allows me to act into is that strongest self of mine, uh, who, who I want to be for them, for their future. 
Um, and, and that kind of pulls me into my best self. So in the moment for me, in a courageous conversation, it's clarity over what you want to say and it's state management in the moment. And it's yeah. a third thing, which is equally as important and something that I'm really passionate about is managing the other person's state too, or at yes. least being conscious of the other person's state. Because if, they, um, if they're triggered and if they're in a, in a space which is not um, which is overrun by fear, then what we can do together is very limited. And so I have to become masterful at providing the right space to allow them to feel uh, in control of their emotions too. And obviously not all of that is possible, um, all in the same moment, but not everything has to happen in a conversation, in one conversation. Uh, yeah. We can break it up. And it really is that sort of... Uh really bastardized term of a safe space isn't it like uh, a place where you can manage your state which is mm -hmm. obviously i mean that's the one thing you can control right mm -hmm. so we want to make sure we're using any technique as possible that we can go in and i mean when i'm trying to have courageous conversations i'm really just trying to sit in a space of love but also mm -hmm. sit in a, a in a space of compassion and that's right and, and the compassion should give me the ability to have the perspective mm -hmm. and understanding of the situation to make better choices. And, you know, and as you said, sometimes, I mean, we can try and manage, but we obviously cannot control the other person's responses or their state. And the best we can do is try and set the best parameters possible to hopefully That's right. get the best result possible out of them. And that enables us not to react, I think, because uh, that, you know, reaction space is is too immediate. We want to respond and choose our response carefully. Um, and, and I think, you know, the model that I teach on these programs, it's got it's got two variables. One is compassion and the other is courage. Yeah. Um, and, and really for good conversations, our head has to be in the game for for this. We have to be really focused on the potential um, of, of the messages that we give um, and the way in which we're building relationships at the same time. Yeah. All right. The last bit of this podcast, uh, I'm here for some free therapy. You ready? <laughs> sure. Uh, we're talking about me here. I have a fear. And mine is a fear of success. Mm. Is this is this a common thing? And do you have mm. any tips regarding this? Have you read um, Marianne Williamson's Return to Love? No, I have not. Okay, okay. She has um, this beautiful, beautiful book. You, you definitely want to read it. I'm sure. I'll put it on. Um, list. And in it, yeah, and in it, she's got a book called uh, a poem called Our Deepest Fear. And um, I don't know all the words, but the essence of this poem is not that we are um, afraid of our dark, you know, the dark things, that actually we are afraid of the light, that we are afraid of um, how brilliant we are, yeah. that we are afraid of how powerful we are um, and how much we could do. We're afraid of the beauty within us and um what yep, we are so I, I... can you fix that please <laughs> 
Um, I think it's a, it's a, I think it's true. I think it's a hundred percent true. And I think, um, you know, what if you are brilliant? What if you are, um, extraordinary? What if you could change the world? Um, these are all very overwhelming, um, fears that could, could paralyze us, I think. Um, and they can make us self-sabotage is what I think a behavior that I, that I do in, in that regard, because I, I am afraid of being as bright as I could be. That's right. And I think it's, um, again, I think the message is to liberate yourself from that fear. You know, it's, um, it's not, you know, you'll probably never find out, um, you know, but, but are you going to let it stop you is the kind of yes. big problem. Yes, I am. <laughs> You're not, because look at you. You're not. <laughs> yes. But I could, it's, I, it's I could do so it. much more. You could do I, more. Yeah, I wonderful. sabotage myself constantly. I do fuck all work and yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't do nearly the amount of things and I don't see nearly the amount of interactions and emails that I should to people. Uh, I, I literally skate by uh, with the bare minimum. And, you know, it's not that I'm not capable and it's not that I'm lazy. It's just that I'm afraid. I wonder, though, as well, whether it's also this fear of um, not doing what you should do, you know, and every time that you hear a should in your head, um, you know, that's a sign that you've kind of let fear in. So I think that it's, um, I, I don't know, you know, you you might, be able to kind of get your head around the fact that you are very powerful and that you are very, um, uh, and you know, the power that's within you doesn't have to look like the work ethic that you were brought up to believe was the right one to have. True. And that the fear, um, that you're not doing that has kind of sort of merged with the other fear about being super special. Does that make yeah. sense? That, I mean, yes. I mean, you, when you bring in the societal paradigms of what I've been brought up to believe, you know, my dad was a CEO of a big company and, you know, worked like a CEO of a big company. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what was modeled to me. And that's especially right. in this day and age, we've got this real uh, like hustle and grind culture that that's coming through that I do not align with in any way, shape or form. I live on the beach in Mexico for a reason, <laughs> but I, I still, I still just, I feel myself holding myself back. And. But you're holding yourself back within a system. You're not holding yourself back from living the life that you want. Uh, to a degree I am like, cause mm-hmm. I mean, my greatest self is to be able to serve as many people as possible. Like mm-hmm. that is lit. I mean, I literally sit on my sign saying, I'll talk to any, I'll sit on the beach with my sign saying, I'll talk to anyone about anything for free. I help people around the world for free. Oh, so often, but I, I want to do so much more. I want to have Have much more impact. Jimmy, how many people listen to your podcast? About a tenth of the amount that I think is right. 
and it's an that's, arbitrary. That wasn't the number. question. That was Fear's answer. What was what was the what's the answer? I'm embarrassed to say because I don't think it's enough. Mm-hmm. That's and fear so, again. What what I've, what I've, was I've, the answer? <laughs> <laughs> like uh, I get about 500 listens per episode. Per episode. Okay. Yeah. There's 500 yeah. people that you're helping from your beach in from your bedroom from my bedroom yeah yeah yeah. no and and like i'm so i love those people like they are wonderful they send me wonderful emails they say thank Mm -hmm. you and Mm -hmm. i and i and i love them and it and it makes me feel i have a folder um Mm -hmm. to help me with this which is entitled thing nice things people say and so whenever they send me a nice thing i take a screenshot of it Mm -hmm. and i put it in that folder Mm-hmm. And like, cause I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether it's fucking delusions of grandeur or whatever, but I just feel, and I have a desire to help so many more people. And I feel like I'm failing at that. And, and is there something in this about kind of, you know, the irony of expertise and the, um, you know, the more that you see what you can do, the more there is to do. You know, the more that you are connected with the thing, the more you realize the thing is there. And so there's a path that you're on. Um, and is it is it okay to imagine that as you progress, you will see even more so that the the more the further you go down this path of um of this mission that you have the more you will see that the path continues yeah i mean obviously i understand that i mean like i'm not going to help everyone in the world there's there's no there's no delusion around that Mm. um and this is the problem with arbitrary numbers right like how many how many people is enough you know mm-hmm. like my wife will tell me like i literally had a suicidal dude come up to me on the beach the other day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what a beautiful thing to be able to have him leave an mm-hmm. hour later happy mm-hmm. with a whole mm-hmm. new perspective and understanding mm-hmm. so grateful for the ability to be able and the opportunity to be able yeah. to do that and so libby's like one one is enough and then I'm like, yeah, okay. And then only 500 people will listen to this episode. And I'm like, that's not enough. And then I'm like, oh, only 18 million people watched my video on YouTube, literally. <laughs> and you're like, that's still not enough. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, there's obviously a whole bunch of work in there that I have been doing and do do around understanding expectations. But I, I want, to help more yet mm-hmm. i still find myself sabotaging helping more yeah that's I what think i can't pro- understand yeah yeah i think it's probably a case of having a think about that core belief that it's quantity um and that you're that that would prove you know because i think what to me there's some sort of core belief that says if i help this amount of people, if I have this much influence, um, then I have had a successful life. Correct. Um, and I think that that's possibly to mask another core belief 
um, that probably was set up way earlier um, in your life, which is, you know, you have to work hard to achieve something. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think it, right. Define the success. That's right. But I think, um, first of all, you need to uncouple hard work and outcome, which, you know, you are on a definite path of doing. Yeah. Because no, <laughs> here you are you role modeling it beautifully. Yeah. Um, so you are on a path to doing that. And then you, and, and then there is something about having a better relationship with that fear that if you, you know, it's kind of what is a, you know, what is life, you know, what is life about? Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I, I think there are some beautiful, um, you know, books like, um, the meaning of life by, uh, Frankel, um, do you know that book? Um, yeah, uh, uh, man's man search for man's yeah, search for man meaning. search for yeah. meaning. Yeah. Um, and Nelson Mandela's biographies and and books Long and Beyonce, freedom, yeah, and Beyonce even you know people who have kind of uh, moved beyond their initial expectations of themselves and into you know new paradigms, which are just it's just a new sense of self. And I think that is a that they are beautiful questions to explore. And I think the trick as we do this self-exploration is not to layer on the shame. Shame is like, so I always think of like fear. And this is the premise in the book is that fear is the loudest guest at a party. And it's always kind of in your ear, sort of like pulling your party kind of in a certain direction and making you speak to some people, not to others and ignore um, or to, you know, it's, it's sort of telling you what to do and that what, what I always imagine, you know, this, cocktail party in my head anyway and fear is there as this guest I always think that fear is flanked by shame and guilt you know they've got if fear has got these two best friends that it comes with and as soon as it's as soon as it's triggered fear shame and guilt are there immediately to layer on and I think it's a case of asking ourselves with you know to seek permission to to let go of shame to let go of guilt so that you can actually build this relationship with fear and use it as a guide rather than as a hindrance. And, um, you know, the layering on of that shame and guilt, it makes it all very dark and muddy and and hard. And it's not part of the same narrative, but they're very, they're very aligned as, as friends. Right. Well, thank you for my therapy session. I appreciate (laughs) it. People will have more questions. People want to find out more. People may want to read your book. Where can they get a hold of you and do all of those things? So the book is on Amazon and everywhere and Booktopia and Kindle and Audible. It's everywhere. So uh, go find it. Um, It's a really practical book, actually, that helps people do that hierarchy, that experiment hierarchy. Um, And uh, me, I'm Dr. Amy Silver. um, And you can find me on LinkedIn and websites and Instagram and Facebook and all the places. Easy peasy. Well, Dr. Amy Silver, thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. Very appreciate, very much appreciate your expertise, and I'm sure you've helped a bunch of people along the way. Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. That was Inside Out with Jimmy Hunt. See you next time. Uh, do you have? 
three minutes? I do. Because this, is, this might be a bonus thing at the end of the at the podcast mm-hmm. because uh, someone just asked me a question and I don't think it fits inside the podcast, but this may be mm-hmm. great for a little, you know, like the secret song at the end of an album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I had someone ask about irrational fears. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like their friend uh, can't be in a room with balloons. Right. And they're just like, like they're just deathly afraid uh, that it would pop. Uh, I have a friend called Jimmy as well, um, but he's a dwarf. And there are a bunch of people with an irrational fear of dwarves. And, you know, when you talk to them, like, you know, they're just like, I don't know why this is. I, you know, you, I'm sure you're a lovely guy, but stay the fuck away from me. Um, and then we've got people with like an irrational fear of snakes, for example. Like there are plenty of people in New Zealand with a with a massive fear of snakes. There are no snakes in New Zealand. So, <laughs> so my question is, like, do you have any understanding? Does science have any understanding of irrational fears? And are there ways to move through those? I think a really good question is when does a fear become irrational? Like, or, or when does it, when is it rational? Yeah. Um, I think this is a graded thing. I mean, people are afraid of doing the wrong thing. People are afraid of displeasing God. Right. Uh, people are <laughs> afraid of um, speaking their truth. I mean, they're kind of all pretty irrational it it depends it really just depends on what your understanding of irrational and rational fears are where your benchmark is many people think it's irrational to jump out of a plane right with a parachute you know um but if if, if we take the example of the lady with the balloon who was the person mm -hmm. that actually sent me a message and Mm -hmm. a friend of the lady with the balloon and Mm -hmm. um and like it is a debilitating fear you can never go to a birthday party yeah. Like, <laughs> is there, I think like, it's, it, it, there is the, the, the only science is the same science that um, we spoke about earlier in that if we avoid, we never progress with a fear. Right. So a balloon, you know, if it has popped and you were near it when you were a child and then you have forevermore had an association of pain and balloons, then it's absolutely rational that you don't go into a room with balloons. Absolutely. I get that. So for that person, it is a rational fear. It's not irrational. It's just irrational to others. And so it is exactly the same process as meeting dogs and puppies in small doses and manageable. Um, And so the progress through that fear is exactly the same. Uh, Small leaps, uh, small jumps or big leaps. Yeah, right. It's, it's a crazy thing. We all have we all have uh, these different metrics on what fear is for us. Um, it is essentially an action that has become habitual in the face of a discomfort that's associated with fear. And I guess uh, my take on it too is that doesn't matter how it got there. It's almost completely irrelevant how it's happened. The only thing is, do we want to continue to live with it or do we want to change our life and navigate through it? Those are your two choices. 
That's right. And I think just to go back to something that we said is that if when we have those fears, we've added our own shame story to that, right? then it makes it harder. So I am now True. so ashamed that I have what I think is an irrational fear that I can't actually um, now go to parties or whatever the story is that we now tell ourselves. Um, that shame is the becomes the blocker. It's almost like, as I said, a friend flanking fear, making it harder for us to go, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Okay, so I've got this thing, this discomfort that happens to such an extreme that it stops me from doing things that I want. That doesn't sound sensible. I want to do something about that. Okay, well, how do I do that? Well, I need to go through a series of steps that enable me to feel comfortable with balloons. Well, what could that look like? It could mean, you know, buying a packet of balloons and touching them when they're not blown up. Can yeah. I do that? Is that yeah. uncomfortable? Can I tolerate that? If I can't, okay, what can I, can I draw a picture of a balloon? Can I tolerate that? Yeah. Yeah. What's, yeah. what's the next step up from that? Yeah. Can I watch a video of a balloon? No. Okay. What can I do that would keep me in discomfort that I can tolerate that puts me on a path to be able to go to the party of my best yeah. friend when, when, when she's having one. Yeah. I like that. And so do you know how, how to deal with the shame associated with it? Like, I mean, cause the shame can be the paralyzing part of it, can't it? Yeah. The shame, the way through shame is acknowledgement, right. um, acknowledgement out loud to share with others what you're feeling is a moment that you're going to get judged and experiencing that other people don't judge you in that harsh way that you true. have judged yourself. It's true. I've got a really good example for that. Uh, as people know, as you know, I live in Mexico and Mexicans don't speak fucking English. And <laughs> I've lived here five years. My wife is fluent in Spanish, but because I'm dyslexic learning languages is really 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 hard and i've tried and i've cried mm. and i've tried and i've cried and i've tried and mm. i've cried and then i gave up for a long while and i am ashamed when people say how long have you lived here oh five years mm. oh and mm -hmm. your spanish is this bad i'm like mm -hmm. yeah and i've really had to do exactly what you're saying in actually sort of own Owning up it. Mm -hmm. own up to my shame and go, yeah, like I'm an intelligent man and in many, many sorts of facets. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to language, my brain just does, does not work with it. Like I can yeah. learn something and then a minute later, not have it in my head. Yeah. And I'm trying really hard, but right now I'm just shit at it. I'm sorry. Um, that's yeah. just the way it is. That's just the way it is. And I think it's acceptance, isn't it, that, that happens along the way of owning something, first of all, to yourself and then out loud. It's a beautiful mm. release from shame. And I think that's what writing is about, you know. I think that's part of what that process of um, writing our narratives, you know, if you journal or anything like that. Yeah. I think it's just being able to see something in black and white and kind of go, oh, actually, it's not as bad on paper as it is in my head. Um, and that process of acceptance and moving through things um, and allowing yourself to walk with shame 
um, not pretend that it's not there. Cool. Thanks for the bonus bonus content. <laughs> uh, yeah. Appreciate it.